This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Welcome to Tales from the Halifax School for the Blind, an AMI audio original podcast where we explore what everyday life was like inside this legendary institution. Over the span of 112 years, the Halifax School for the Blind was home to thousands of blind and partially sighted children from Atlantic Canada and beyond. Join me, Terry Kelly, and my fellow former students as we take a trip down memory lane, reflecting on formative experiences and cherished memories from our beloved alma mater. In today's episode, we explore how the school experience differed for boys and girls during their teenage years. Jean Hills visits with us from her home in Aurelia, Ontario, to share stories of the great lengths a girl would go to to keep up with the hit parade. And once again, we connect with Fred and Gloria Haynes from their home in Halifax. One of the only couples able to date openly, Fred and Gloria saw firsthand how the rules didn't apply evenly to the boys and the girls. When I went to the school for the blind, the girls were not allowed out in the public by themselves at all until they were 16. And even then they had to go with one other girl. And whereas the boys, they were allowed out right from at a young age, I believe. Oh, I remember the boys had a lot more freedom than the girls. We generally went out in pairs, but we could go out on our own pretty much any time we wanted to, up until uh, 8 or 9 o'clock at night, and depending on your age. But I, I would be, uh, when I went back to the school, I was 16, so I was considered a senior. So I could probably go out until 10 o'clock. Fred would hit the streets of Halifax with a friend to catch a movie or to take a long walk through Point Pleasant Park or cross the McDonald Bridge to Dartmouth. Almost every night, Fred and two or three friends would hang out at the Tasty Food Restaurant, where George and Louie would serve up a hot meal or a tasty treat. And if you miss the guys at the Tasty Food, odds are you'd find them back at the boys' club. We had a, a club near the dining room, and at one point we had a pool table in there. I think that was just before I left, but before that we just had tables and chairs, and we would go down there and play cards. And we did have a piano there. So once in a while, we'd have a music night and uh, invite different. Uh, our, our mentor was uh, Miss Thomas. And she would she would arrange sometimes to have people like uh, Jim Bennett or I can't remember all the different people that would come in and play music for us. And sometimes... Uh, the students would, would be allowed to take their guitar. I played banjo at that time. We'd take a banjo, some guitars down, and play along with these people. Just a fun night. And if you were over 16, I believe, you were allowed to smoke in those days. And uh, once in a while, we'd play cards, and we'd have free cigarettes on the tables for any of the boys over 16. Thankfully... The boys' club activities weren't exclusively for the fellows, and Gloria got to attend many of their events. She has fond memories of when the boys' and girls' clubs were invited to tour the HMCS Sioux, tied up at the time at Halifax Harbor. After touring the ship, they had us sit down for lunch, and I made myself available beside Fred because he had to be at the head table because he had to give a speech, a thank you speech for inviting us there. 
that's one time I, I managed to get next to him. Also on that time that we went on the ship, our supervisor never explained to the girls that we should wear slacks. So needless to say, we went on a ship having a tour, had to climb up these ladder-like stairs to the floor above. And uh, so it was quite the experience anyway. And and I think, uh, you know, not to sound corny, but I think uh, there was a special feeling, a special chemistry between Gloria and I. We fell in love. Yes, and, 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 and too, Fred was extremely witty. So even though we weren't going together the years that I mentioned, I would hear all kinds of stories about him, uh, different things that happened on, on with bad. him and other guys. and Bad things. Bad things, maybe. But anyway, but he, he was very witty. We just hit it off all of a sudden. It just We just clicked. I think what she's talking about are stories that we had uh, – Bank, we had a bowling league, and of course, we had a banquet, and there was uh, celebrating and drinking, and everybody had to do something foolish. So, one time, I guess the boys came back and told Gloria that I was up dancing on the table. She didn't agree with that. I was I wasn't going with Fred at that time, but it was just it was just fun hearing these stories about him. I was always interested in whatever could whatever I could hear about Fred until we found it up together. While the Boys Club kept Fred quite busy, Gene Hills, known then as Jeannie McAllister, wasn't as impressed with the Girls Club. The Girls Club was not something that interested me very much because they didn't do anything. Or at least if they did, I wasn't interested in it. Uh, they also fostered the, I think it was the afternoon recess chocolate bars that you could buy. Well, I never had any money. <laughs> So I, I, that was something that did not interest me very much. And I think girls that were older than myself benefited and enjoyed some of the activities, but I never really did. Maybe I wasn't a joiner. For someone who wasn't a joiner, Jeannie sure did get involved in lots of school activities. She was particularly fond of the weekly swimming trips. Well, for the most part... We went swimming, we were bused to the Staticona pool, and that was all right, except for Miss Arthur. And uh, she uh, had her own way of teaching us how to swim, and I didn't respond as well to it as many of the kids, and that was throw you in the deep end. Or uh, she would take you underneath her arm and tell you to swim, and uh, when you get down to the deep end, she'd just kind of let you go. <laughs> anyway... Um, I swim now, but I didn't swim well then. And, uh, of course, the uh, bus to and from, we got to sit with the boys, which was pretty good, too. Then we had bowling on some afternoons. That was pretty good. Now, I must tell you, when I left the school, got married and all the rest of it and had a kid, I was able to join a sighted bowling league. I did win the Furline Peapot one year, but um, took it all in good grace. But I bowled with the Sighted League, and uh, I held my own. And it's because, of course, things that we learned at school. And we had a school newspaper, of course, and I wrote little articles for it, as is mentioned in Robert Mercer's uh, book, uh, Mrs. Beaton's Question. I enjoyed that. We also had Halloween shows. We couldn't have uh, trick-or-treats sort of thing. I mean, we were in a school, and 
that's not going to happen. They'd give us a little basket of goodies or box of treats or whatever. But we would have a Halloween show, be a variety show. And actually, people from the outside came in to watch these shows, and they were great. We had music and skits and piano playing, you know, and we played rock and roll. Good God. I don't think I've ever heard anybody sing and play One Night With You by Gordon Noseworthy. I've never heard any anybody do it like him since. It was great. Other than that, of course, we had a drama club. I was in three or four different plays. It was great. We had some kids there that were pretty good actors. It was run by a CBC director, an elderly gentleman, fantastic by the name of Leslie Pickett. Loved him. And we then also had our our choir. The choir was really good. There must have been 40 of us. Uh, That was first led by, I believe his name is Leonard Mayo. He went on to head the music department at Acadia University, but he was fantastic. I loved uh, the music that we played and sang. It was interesting, all the different things we had. And of course, (laughs) me being me, (laughs) I had to be in the middle of everything. That's just my personality. (laughs) What can I say? (laughs) Although Jeannie and Gloria weren't very involved with the Girls Club, the Canadian alternative to the Girl Guides proved to be an invaluable resource for young ladies at the school. The superintendent, Mrs. Allen, approached Daphne MacArthur, who had been a teacher there at one time and then um, did a lot of volunteer work. She approached Daphne MacArthur to, uh, to ask her if she could do something with the girls as we were all getting into the early teens and we didn't have our mothers there. So she wanted Mrs. Daphne to um, start something up with us to help us through those years of, of uh, becoming a young woman. And so Daphne started up a, a CGIT group, uh, which is Canadian Girls in Training. So we had that group at the school, and it was an amazing group. And she did everything at the school for the blind with our group that she would have, that the outside, anybody outside the school were outsiders and, and their CGIT group. She made sure that we did everything that the program offered, which meant mother and daughter banquets and she had a volunteer appointed to each one of us that would take us out or uh, buy us birthday gifts. And we just had, uh, uh, she was an amazing, amazing woman. She's still alive and I'm still in touch with her. So that was one wonderful thing that happened with the girls. And she even planned weekend camping out at Camp Brunswick here in Nova Scotia so that we could get away camping for the weekend and they had books for us about becoming a young woman. And uh, she had a nurse come in and uh, we were able to ask the nurse any and every question imaginable. So uh, we were certainly helped along with that many, many more things. The Canadian Girls in Training Program may have taught the girls about the birds and the bees, but they failed to protect Jeannie from the influence of rock and roll. I was given a portable radio by my parents. God bless them. I because they were expensive and I don't know how they managed it, but I was, I was 13 and a half 
the year I came back to school with a six transistor radio. And oh, I loved it. We we were <laughs> we weren't supposed to have radios and record players, etc. We had a radio down in what they called the, you know, the recreation room. And that was supposed to be our radio. And we were supposed to uh, play music on the piano, etc. Anyways, I had this transistor radio, loved it. It was wonderful Saturday nights to listen to the local radio station that had their Saturday night dance party. And uh, I, I would stay up with that thing underneath my pillow till about two in the morning to hear Paul Anka sing goodnight, my love. Anyway, <laughs> it didn't do me well the next day in Sunday school, at which time I would nap. Jeannie had bigger problems than staying awake through Sunday school. She had to keep that radio powered up for her next late night rendezvous with Paul Anka. Well, staying in fresh batteries was a problem, you see. <laughs> because I was one of the girls and didn't have a lot of money. So uh, when I could get out downtown with a couple of the older girls, well, you see, <laughs> this is really not good. I, I would steal them out of Zellers. <clears throat> this thing took four double A's. I'd steal them, and then I, when I had to go, to, we had to go to confession every two weeks. Well, then I would just confess that I'd stole these batteries. And they'd be good for for a couple of months or whatever, and then I would uh, repeat the process. Not exactly something that I'm proud of, but, I mean, what's a girl going to do? <laughs> Jeannie's addiction wasn't limited to the radio waves. She soon picked up a rather perilous vinyl habit. When I was 12, 13, 14 years old, we got a record player. I don't know where we got this from. And we would do anything we could to get downtown to buy these little 45s. Now, of course, we had no plug-ins in our dorm, but one of the girls got an extension cord in the socket, and we put a couple of lockers on top of one another, and uh, we, we pulled up the, unscrewed the light bulb, put that socket in, put the light bulb back in, and plugged it in. And uh, then we could plug in our record player. But, of course, it had to be, you know, fairly high on top of this stack of lockers. God, we must have been crazy. And we would play uh, Richie Valens, Donna, and uh, Buddy Holly. Uh, We would play these 45s, I'm sure, until they were nearly worn out. And we would be in our dorms just dancing away and listening to all this fantastic music because they didn't want us to have our record player downstairs in the rec rooms. I mean, we did, that was just, no. Anyway, we, we, we did what all teenagers will do, all teenage girls. I suppose when I was about 17, 18, you know, they didn't care about radios anymore. You know, they knew we all had them. Uh, it was the early years uh, when I was about 13, 14, that we were, Really not supposed to have radios. But uh, we, uh, we got through it. 
One of the few obsessions to rival music was fashion. As usual, teenage girls, uh, we have excellent fashion sense. We put little hoops under our skirts. And, uh, of course, the idea was to have many gathered cotton skirts uh, to wear with our white bucks. Because... uh, There was a song back in the day, White Bucks and Saddle Shoes. Well, Saddle Shoes didn't cut it. They had to be White Bucks. And at night, we would all gather down in the uh, domestic science room, and we would uh, spread the paper, newspaper on the floor and clean and polish our White Bucks. Now, whether you had partial vision or no vision, as was myself, You had to clean those things, and you had to make sure they were absolutely beautiful. And no, you could not get any polish on the sole. It was just on the white box itself. Uh, Oh, they had to be spiffy. And uh, yes, and they were. I I think it's a, a distant memory for a lot of people now. White shoe polish, liquid uh, yes, it was very hard to manage, but we did. I don't know how, but we did. And um, that was part of the, you know, that teenage thing about looking good. Because, you know, you had to look good for the boys. Half of them couldn't see, and the other half were partial. But, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it was just what we did. Jeannie doesn't remember the boys dressing up to impress girls. They just got attention the old-fashioned way with lots of teasing. I remember being 15 and being teased by the boys, but I don't remember what they wore or what they they did to make themselves appealing. In my class, I was pretty short. We had some short guys, but we I am a short girl. I'm still only five foot one and a bit. We had Christopher, who was six, three or four, and we had Martin, who was probably six foot two or three, and and what they what they would do is they would grab me and they at study time and they would put me on a shelf and I couldn't get down. The shelf was over my head, and if I jumped, I jumped down on a radiator. So I'd be up there screaming my foolish head off, Christopher, let me down. You know, I'd be screaming. Anyways, I remember going getting just fed up with these guys because they were just terrible bees. I went into Mr. Legg's office because we it was an open house, his office. It was wonderful. And I was really complaining, Mr. Legg, I am so short and they're all just bothering me and they're teasing me and I can't reach anything. And I was having a bad day. So he sat back from the brailer that he was working on and he said, well, my dear, you know, it's like this. You are a beautiful girl. You're young. And really, don't worry about not being tall and being teased because you're so short. Because really, for the rest of your life, all you're going to have to do, he says, is ask. And there'll always be a young man to get anything you need. Now, wasn't that beautiful? (laughs) It was wonderful. No matter how much the boys teased little Jeannie, she had to play it cool. After all, she had a personality contest to win. Well, I'm not even sure who started it, but they decided to have a Miss Personality contest. I'm not sure what it was even judged on. 
there were several of us girls who were, you know, in the running. I guess we were age 13 to 18, I guess. And uh, we were trying to win this by being nice to everybody. (laughs) So um, it had nothing to do with looks. It had to do with helpfulness and uh, um, appreciation and um, all of that sort of uh, aspect of things. Anyways, uh, I did not win. Uh, I probably was a bit too mischievous type to win, but I did win the second prize with a Miss Congeniality, which I thought was pretty cool. The winner was Doris Hopkins uh, from Seal Island. She was all around a really nice girl. A little older than me, she uh, got the crown. And then I got a little tiara and wore a pink dress. It was really cool. I don't think we got anything else, uh, but recognition as Miss Congeniality was pretty good for me. (laughs) I think the powers that be tried to get things going for us Trying to make our high school years a little more like they would be in a regular high school. I think they tried, you know. Unlike the typical high school experience, many students felt the Halifax School for the Blind was a bit heavy-handed in efforts to keep the boys and girls apart. Of course, for someone as resourceful as our own miscongeniality, where there's a will, there's a way. Uh, They did a lot of policing of friendships, whether they were plutonic or not. I mean, I got hell for sitting down and just talking to Martin one evening uh, after studying. Um, Gosh, there's nothing going on here. We're having a conversation, but oh boy, they would come right down on you. However, you know, I have to tell you, the boyfriend-girlfriend thing, it flourished. Those of us who knew our way around well, we could always find little areas to meet and do a little making out. Uh, You know, there were parts of that school that I think even the supervisors were reluctant to know about. But we, we kids did, you know. Well, there was the furnace room and there was and the manual, the boys manual training room at night. There was nobody there, and uh, it could be gotten into. And then there was the practice, the piano practice rooms. There was nobody around there at night. And as long as you were sort of in your bed at lights out, you were good. You didn't necessarily stay there. You can put your pillows in such a way that they might have thought you were still there. Just take off. Uh, This is what we did. Some of it wasn't all that honest, but, you know, teenagers are teenagers. Boys and girls, you know, they will get together, and we did. Jeannie possessed a unique skill set that made sneaking off to some long-forgotten corner of the school far easier. Well, yes, I had um, some particular lock-picking skills, and uh, these were imparted to me by one of the boys. And uh, yes, I could pick a lock pretty easily. And I did. And I was um, spoken of by one of the supervisory staff. Yes, I think it was the junior girl's matron that uh, 
you know that Jeannie McAllister, there isn't, there isn't a door that or lock that girl can't pick. And she was quite right. The boys and girls didn't just look to one another for romance. Many deep and meaningful friendships were formed at the school. I really found some of the boys very uh, interesting, uh, especially in my later years. Like, I remember having a conversation with Martin Daly, who, of course, is never my boyfriend or never anyone that I uh, liked more than anybody else. I remember a conversation he and I had on our last year there being very kind of scared and where do we go from here? Remember, Martin, myself, and many of the students had hardly been home for years. You lose uh, contact and you lose uh, a lot with your parents and your siblings. We would go home in the summers, but that didn't make up. Every time you went home, you were, you know, almost a different person every year. And uh, he and I were talking about how we had grown away from our families and whatnot. And then where do we go? What do we do? We weren't quite sure that we were prepared to, well, couldn't support ourselves. So we would, we would talk about myself and, and two or three of the others would talk about, well, what do we do? We're going to have our pension, $75 a month from the government. What do we do with that? Is that enough to, to keep us? Do we live in a room? Where do we go? The times, they were a-changing. And life after graduation would play out very differently for today's storytellers. In the season finale of Tales from the Halifax School for the Blind, Fred, Gloria, and Jeannie share stories about the teachers who made a lifelong impact and how they reunited with their fellow students to honor the school that gave them so very much. But the happy endings will have to wait till next time. For now, we'll say farewell with a song that wonderfully captures the complexity and heartache that so often accompanies young love. It's from the album Hors d'oeuvres by Two Hearts Content, a band Jean later formed with her husband Don Hills. Jean explains the origins of her song, Not Enough to Be Your Friend. I had a really interesting friendship with a gentleman in my past who was just coming to terms at that time with his homosexuality. And that's where that song came from. Not enough to be your friend. I wanted more in a relationship. And of course it couldn't happen. You call me up for dinner Then afterwards we'll take in a show It seems you want your friends to notice Who you're with everywhere we go You always have me home by one You kiss my cheek, say that was fun You could buy so quick I'm numb My hopes die once again Like a bitter winter wind You smile and tell me
often go out walking on lazy sunny summer afternoon you avoid those quiet places the nighttime and especially that old run you kiss my cheek say that was fun your goodbye is so quick on numb my hopes die once again like a whistled country too you smile and tell me I'm your angel place your hand upon my hand you're a man It's not enough to be your friend What is it you're afraid of? Why do we never touch? I've loved you for so long now Is that closeness to me? Smile and tell me This podcast was recorded and produced by Village Sound at the Village Sound Studios in Halifax, Nova Scotia. For Accessible Media Inc., created and produced by Ryan Delahanty, tech assistance from Sam Robinson, and many thanks to Andy Frank, manager for AMI-audio. Special thank yous to all of our storytellers, Shirley Trites, Joanna Pierce, and staff at the Atlantic Province's Special Education Authority. This podcast is proud to support the APSI Auxiliary Charity and invite you to do the same. Contact them by emailing auxiliary at apsi.ca. That's A-U-X-I-L-I-A-R-Y at A-P-S-E-A dot C-A. Our deepest gratitude goes out to Robert Mercer, whose book Mrs. Beaton's Question inspired this podcast. Finally, thank you to all the wonderful teachers, staff, and house parents at the school. I'm your host, singer, songwriter, professional speaker, Terry Kelly. If you enjoyed our show, please do take the time to subscribe and write us a review. Most of all, we would love to hear from any former students who are invited to join us in sharing their tales 
from the Halifax School for the Blind. Reach us by emailing halifax at ami.ca. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit ami.ca.